to the Ruby Name Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. With me on the show today, we've got Sam. Hello. It's going to be another show with just Sam and I, so hopefully we're charming enough for you guys out there. We're going to do our standard news roundup, and we're going to talk about uh, various forms of adaptation across media and across uh, national boundaries um, as we look at shows that sort of get imported or get remade in America and look at things that are adapted um, either from books or comic books or things like that into other media. Um, With that, Sam, why don't we just go ahead and dive right into our news roundup, which I think is probably going to be pretty quick this week. Um, The first story, I I read this and I felt like we had to at least touch on it. Um, Apparently, It's a Wonderful Life is getting a sequel next Christmas. Um, The premise of which is that an angel who is theoretically going to be played by uh, the now very old woman who played... Uh, Zuzu in the original It's a Wonderful Life, uh, and she is going to be telling George Bailey's grandson that actually the world would be better off if he had never been born. So Merry Christmas, I guess? Wait, so she's telling George Bailey's grandson that it would be better if the grandson had never been born? Yes. or if the... So... Why would the why would the angel tell him My this? understanding is, I mean... Why is the angel such a yeah, dick? I feel like I feel like it's like... The, someone someone was put in a room somewhere and said, you have to come up with a premise for a sequel to It's a Wonderful Life. And they were like, what if we inverted it and the guy should still be alive? Um, it just, but like, A, this doesn't sound like a Christmas movie to me. Or B, it sounds like a Christmas movie and it just sounds like a Christmas carol. Um, and either way, I'm not sure that we need it. Well, actually, I'm pretty sure we don't. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. sure we don't need it. <laughs> I'll go further. This honestly, this honestly sounds like, A, it sounds like a joke. B, it sounds like, um, I don't know how this movie is getting made. Like, I don't know who thinks this is a good idea. I'm not even completely sold that this is real. I know this has been, like, reported by, like, real news sources, but it's so stupid. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that were I making up news stories for the news roundup, this would be something dumb enough that you could assume I'd made it up. But it has been reported by real outlets, and I am not, of yet anyway, in the business of making up... Uh, news stories for our news roundups um that's in a few podcasts yeah in a couple podcasts i'm gonna run out of real news and we're just gonna start saying like isn't it crazy how julia roberts got arrested for mass murder mass murder um yeah i mean this just kind of sounds like something someone would make as a direct-to-dvd type movie yeah you remember you remember when they made that like quasi sequel to the graduate um the jennifer aniston one I think so. Yeah, I think she was. That was wide release, my friends. Well, I know, I know it was wide (laughs) release, but it's an it's an example of a super unnecessary sequel that should have been like a direct to DVD movie. I mean, it really should have not existed, but yeah, (laughs) I think that's right. Um, I saw that movie, and it was bad. I don't even know why I saw it. Maybe it was on a plane or something, but it was bad. Um. I don't know how much more time we need to spend on this. I just thought it was worth pointing out to our listeners, if you've missed this news, how ridiculous things are sometimes. Um, with that, why don't we move on to something that I think is actually not equally ridiculous, but also fairly ridiculous, um, in that Netflix is, has picked up the killing for an abbreviated fourth and final season. Um, I don't know anyone in the critical community outside of it that likes, cares about, pays attention to the killing at all. Although apparently Netflix has some reason to believe that if it produces more episodes, they will get enough eyeballs on them to be worth uh, making. Um, 
Sam, I, I think you and, uh, stopped watching The Killing around the same time as me, which is the end of the first season. Um, have you? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make it yeah, to the Yeah, I don't know that I actually season. saw the, the final few episodes either. I just... I, I do not who I do not know who killed. I didn't not Laura uh, they Palmer. They didn't say that at the end of the first season. <laughs> I know they said that. I don't know because like, I don't care. I haven't been paying attention. Um, Chris watches the show still, I think, but he's not with us anymore. We we've since uh, killed Chris. Um, yeah, we, we've killed him because. But I just I find it perplexing that Netflix thought of all shows to revive after their cancellation and make more of. Uh, even in this year, that the killing was their best bet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's clamoring yeah. for it. I I will not watch. I will I'm honestly not. probably I will not forget watch. that it even happened. Um, I don't know. Netflix advertises its shows fairly well on its website, so maybe I'll notice that it's happening. But I don't know that I'll care. And well, in fact, no, I do know. I won't care. Um, and I won't watch any of the episodes. And this will all fade from memory very soon. Um, most I uh, could use as an excuse to rant about a bunch of things Netflix should have picked up that got canceled instead of The Killing, but I'll just shrug and go, I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's it's, mo- it's more complicated than I, I think than just Netflix saying we want to do this. Um, you know, I think there's like a lot of parties in play for that sort of thing, so it's not like... Like, oh, like, you know, of course, like, it sucks, like, oh, there's so many, like, good shows that maybe get canceled too soon. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's just as easy as Netflix, like, saying, I want to do this, let's do it. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that's right. Um, you know, you owe the, the question of once a show is canceled, the cast walks away. So it's questions of getting them back. Um, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of thought went into this. I just don't know why Netflix would put that much thought into the killing at all. I don't know. They want shows, people to watch. I don't know. <laughs> I I couldn't give less of a shit about the killing. Yeah, I feel like this is a news story mostly, again, for a huh effect. Um, so we can go ahead and just shift on from this. I think we've, we've spent about as much time on the killing as I ever want to spend on it on this podcast. Um, unless, of course, Chris watches the final six episodes, which I think is the, the episode order. And and demands that we talk about the series finale of the killing in the podcast, and demands it strongly enough that I actually consider it. Um, but none of those things seem very likely. So goodbye forever, the killing. Uh, finally, in the uh, in our news roundup segment here, I wanted to talk briefly about the fact that MGM has finally gotten the the rights to Thunderball uh, back into its house after decades of legal battles, uh, which led to things like them no longer being able to use Spectre and Blofeld in the James Bond movie. John Connery starring not-official James Bond movie, Thunderball remake, Never Say Never Again, and uh, various other irritations and complications over the last uh, 50-some years. So now MGM has taken care of that, and I guess this means things like, if they wanted to, they could remake Thunderball, which I hope to God they don't, and that if they wanted to, they could bring (laughs) back uh, Spectre and Blofeld uh, adversaries to the series. Do you want that? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm not sold on the idea that it would inherently be a good idea, but I don't mind. I liked what it looked like they were doing with Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, in which they may still be doing in future uh, Daniel Craig Bond movies, 
which was developing a new Spectre-like organization. I like the idea of some vague serialization occasionally being a, a facet of the Bond series. Um, I don't know that it necessarily has to be Spectre or Blofeld, but I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. Yeah, this is news also I don't really care about. <laughs> Hooray? Um, sure. Hooray if only because it has occasionally been an impediment to Bond movies before, and it will no longer be an impediment. Hooray, Blofeld is coming back. Do we want that? Um, Blofeld's a great nemesis. I've, I like a lot of the Blofeld starring movies. Um, my favorite Bond movie has Blofeld in it, so... Again, like, we could want it. Brian Cranston is I know, but just because your favorite your favorite Bond movie has him in it from what thirty years ago at least uh, more than 40 that now forty some years ago forty something yeah I don't know he's a good bad guy I I don't inherently think that he him him coming back is a good idea but I think him coming back could be a good idea all right <laughs> character from old Bond movie now is. Legally able to come yeah. back. No, uh, no guarantee he will. Um, no comment from MGM that that's their plan. Who knows? It's possible. Either way, some legal troubles for MGM have stopped being legal troubles for MGM. So you got that going for you. Um, why don't we go ahead and shut down this huh, edition of the news roundup. And uh, Sam, I'll kick it to you. We can start talking about uh, foreign TV adaptations and importations. Sure. Well, I, was, I wanted to wrap this up in the recent news that Anna Gunn and Jackie Weaver have been cast in the American version of Broadchurch, which is already starring um, David Tennant, who was on the British show. And this is, it's kind of a perplexing thing. I think a lot of people are kind of left scratching their heads about why this, why this show is even getting made. And then it's kind of this weird decision to have David Tennant come over um, and do the same part, which I can't think of any examples off the top of my head when uh, um, a foreign show has done this. Can you think of anything off the top of your head? It seems like something one has done before. I'm sure it's been done. Off the top of my head, I can't think of, of it being done. Um, hmm. Yeah, no. I, again, like it wouldn't surprise me at all. It's probably been done, but I can't think of it. I feel like it has been done, but the point is... Um, this is one in a very, very long line of, uh, adaptations from overseas. And I think really ever since, uh, the office came over to America and found success, um, America has been very, very quick to adapt, uh, mostly British shows, but also shows from other countries. Um, house of cards is a British show. Uh, Homeland is based on an Israeli show. Um, the list goes on and on and on and, there have been many, many um, attempts at adapting foreign programs for America that haven't worked out. Um, but Broadchurch is another one, and I, I actually, after after seeing the uh, the Anna Gunn and Jackie Weaver news, which you know they're both good actresses, so hooray, I guess. But um, I just I, I finished watching Broadchurch last night because I had started watching it, and then I moved, and when I moved, my new cable package doesn't have BBC America, which I'm going to have to get, like, today for the Doctor Who special on Saturday. Yeah, you've got problems if you can't get BBC America. Yeah. I got some calls Especially to make. since, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the Doctor Who special on the next podcast. Yeah, I don't think that's much of a surprise. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I ended up watching it last night, 
and it was really really good. But the thing is, it's an eight ep- uh, it's an eight, eight episode series, and something you find with the adaptation to America is, you know, the British shows they often do like eight or ten episodes, and in America we like to do twenty four episodes. So what I'm most concerned about is Broadchurch had a very good pace and feel, and I think um, that could be lost on a longer season because this is going to be on Fox, I think. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's Fox. So it's not going to be like it's not going to be on cable. So it won't be one of those twelve episode seasons. So they're you know hopefully it means they're going to be able to dig deeper into characters, but deep down I think the pacing might just be off. Also, part of the problem is I saw Broadchurch. I know how it ends. I know who did it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't yet, though I do plan to watch the British one um, before the American one yeah, even it's, be made. <laughs> it's really, really fantastic. And the last four episodes, like the first four are like, eh, it's another like small town murder mystery. But the last four are really, really great. And it has, of course, David Tennant, who's amazing and very, very Scottish. And... Um, it's written and created by Chris Chibnall, who most people who listen to the podcast know is a Doctor Who writer. And who's Doctor Who writing week? Yeah. Um, and it also, the original one, has um, our old friend Rory from Doctor Who, um, Arthur Darville. Because there are only like five actors in Britain. There, there are five actors in Britain. One of them has been on an episode of Doctor Who... Dinosaurs and Spaceship and Harry Potter, and he played uh, he played uh, what's his face in Adventure in Space yeah, and he's Time. What's his name? William Hartnell, the first Doctor. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, I always call him Filch. Oh yeah, it's I know who exactly who we're talking about, but I call him Filch as well. <laughs> David Bradley, there we go. There we go. David Bradley, who's been in everything this year, um, and he's really really good on Broadchurch again. Everyone has been on Doctor Who, or has been the Doctor. Yeah, actually, yeah. In, in Broadchurch, two people have kind of portrayed the Doctor. Kind of. I don't know who the other person is. Uh, maybe that'll be a spoiler. No, David Tennant. Well, I know David Tennant. Who else has portrayed the Doctor? Oh, because Phil just pushed David Bradley. Yeah. But David Bradley is playing <laughs> the guy who played the Doctor. Not yeah, the doctor. yeah, yeah. I think it's close enough. Anyway, <laughs> they're all kind of related. But uh, for anyone who hasn't seen Broadchurch yet, miss it. I would highly recommend trying to find it online and giving it a watch. Uh, I would probably, honestly, not wait for the American version to come over before watching because, you know, at best it could probably be as good as it as uh, the British one. But yeah, it's really good. You should watch. I mean, look, it's got it's gonna have the American one will have Anna Gunn, uh, Jackie Weaver, David Tennant is gonna reprise his role. Like, it's a great cast. I'm sure it'll be at the very least worth checking out. But I still put the British one first because, in my experience with uh, American remakes, the original tends to be better. And what's kind of interesting is Broadchurch is going to have another season. The British one, I yeah, think. Yeah, I, I, that, that, I believe that's true. So, it potentially, David Tennant will be playing the same role, but on two seasons. But in one, I think he's going to have an American accent, I think. And it'll be the same story, basically, he did, like, a series before. It's kind of like he's, like, time-traveling. <laughs> I, I guess. I raised one eyebrow. Pretend I raised one eyebrow <laughs> when I said that. That was uh, a bit um, of a stretch for a, for a 
Tenth Doctor reference, especially considering we will be making plenty of them next week. But sure, he's time traveling. And he's traveling in space because the American one will take place in America. And it'll take place in outer space. And also in outer space, yes. Um, but I mean, again, this is like a type of thing where you see this with a lot of shows. You go, well, what is the point of what is the point of doing this? I mean, Broadchurch is in English, and the only the only point to it could be uh, if they decide to do something wildly different and inventive with it. That. That's when I think it's okay. Yeah, I would say one of the one of the examples that I would consider successful, even though I'm not sure I'd go so far as to call it a successful television show, is Homeland, which took the initial premise of the Israeli series Prisoners of War and then kind of ran with it and did its own thing. Um, it was I I haven't seen Prisoners of War, but my understanding is that it's barely an adaptation at all, and insofar as it is, it only is uh, constrained during its first season. Um, that being said, the first season was by far the best season, and were Prisoners of War more readily available to me, I would check that out and maybe it would be better than Homeland. Yeah, and I feel like kind of the classic example, we talked about this before, is The Office. And I think when The Office came over and just tried, I mean, literally the pilot of The American Office was basically word for word the pilot of The British Office. It didn't work. And I think, you know, The Office kind of had to become its own show in later seasons. And you can debate which one was better. But I think what was important is that the American office and the British office were very, very different shows. And I think that's significant. And I think if Broadchurch, and I, they're calling it something else because Broadchurch is too Englishly town in it. There's no town in America called Broadchurch. Uh, they're changing the name of it. But um, like, the American... Why McDonald's? Yeah, it's yeah, McDonald's town, USA, uh, <laughs> number one. Um, I think, well, first of all, based on the Jackie Weaver casting, she's playing a part of like not one of the main people who were in the British one. So that just tells me that they're going to do the same story, at least for the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like over an entire season that might not work so well. And it, it, it might be a pain in the ass for people who have actually seen the British one because they and, know what's going to happen. Right. And, and those this would is, be probably the people who are most interested in watching the show uh, in theory, right? Like if you were to do something different with it, if you were to take, the Broadchurch basic template um, and apply it to a, a different scenario and you were a fan of Broadchurch, you might actually watch it, right? Yeah, but the problem is is if you take the general Broadchurch template, you've just created another like murder mystery show. And then at that point, why don't you just make a new one? You know? Yeah. That's what, it, well, it just, one of the reasons it I haven't seems watched, so pointless. One of the reasons I haven't watched Broadchurch yet is because it started out in the summer and I had just finally gotten around to watching Top of the Lake at that point and... Uh, I was still watching The Bridge at that point, and I was just like, I don't need another, you know, small-town murder mystery show right now. So, I can see why people are going to say that about the remake of Broadchurch, even if it wasn't a remake of Broadchurch, probably. Um, and you've, you've told me, you know, I should still watch Broadchurch, because it gets it gets to be something far more interesting than that, or at least a very uh, well-told version of that. Yeah, I think it's it's a, a well-told version of it. I mean, I think ultimately it is a... It's a murder mystery. I just think it's a very, very good one. And I think all the performances are really, really excellent. And I'm kind of sad, like, David Tennant gets to go to America and do his role, but Olivia Coleman, whose role is really, I feel like, equal to his or often more difficult than his, um, she's getting replaced by Anna Gunn, who is certainly up to the task, and it's exciting knowing the role she's playing, you know, 
I like Anna Gunn a lot. I loved her on Breaking Bad, obviously. I think she'll do well. But I feel bad for all the English people who are like, oh, I guess we can't make the jump. Uh, but David Tennant does. And hey, maybe it'll make David Tennant a star in America. Maybe it will. So, I don't know. But the, I feel like for shows that come to America and have to be adapted to an American audience, they got to kind of make their own way. And I'm afraid with Broadchurch, it's going to just tell the exact same story with the exact same twists and turns and reveals. And that's not going to be so fun for me. I don't know if it's, it's going to be how fun it is going to be for the American audience. Um, granted, David Tennant's an excellent actor. Anna Gunn's an excellent actress. Jackie Weaver is an excellent actress. Um, but it's going to, it's, I feel like it might just end up being a more stretched out version of the same story, which it just seems like an empty gesture because Broad Church is in English. Yeah. Show it on fucking PBS and that's it. You know, do what you do with like Downton Abbey. But I don't know. I guess Fox is like, wow, this was so, so good. Let's replace all the actors with Americans except for David Tennant and tell the same story. I don't know. It seems the cynic in me is like cringing at this because it's just like, let's take something that was kind of not perfect, but very, very good in what it was and squish it into our own mold to try to make it really popular and palatable for Americans. I think, I think part of what comes with um, foreign adaptations is there's like this, I think sometimes like a dumbing down for Americans. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think it's an unassumed, like it's an assumed that it needs to be dumbed down, but I don't think it does. I think, I think the television viewing public in America is really, really sophisticated actually. Uh, well, you know, I think it's all... absolutely far more sophisticated than it's usually given credit for. Absolutely. And even though, like, of course, there's, like, a ton of stupid shit on TV. And stupid, you know, incredibly popular shit on TV. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, this is the viewing public that made The Sopranos a monster hit. And, I mean, that sustains uh, Mad Men and Breaking Bad uh, to their, you know, creative fruition. Neither show was canceled. Sure. Um Sometimes great, weird, arty shows don't make it, but, like, a lot of great artistic television does and is, if not, you know, immensely popular, at least sustainable. Yeah. But, I mean, ultimately, it'd be one thing if this was, you know, a German show and, you know, they wanted to put it in English. Like, at least I'd kind of understand that. Although... This is just, like, it's there. It's all there. One of the things I wanted to talk about while we were talking about uh, foreign TV generally is, like, I understand that the market is smaller for things not in English in America. Like, that's been true for for foreign films forever. Um, But we still often get foreign films here, or at least we get a fair swath of foreign films in any given year. Um, I don't understand why there isn't at least the potential market for foreign TV shows. I think I would be interested to uh, have foreign TV shows be made available to me so that I could check out the originals um, or so that I could check out the things that are supposedly really good uh, about these shows, whether or not they get remade in America. Yeah. Well, I think the big foreign show that's taken America by storm is Borgen. Yeah. And I can't find Borgen. Right. I want to watch Borgen. I would love to see it, but I, it, it's difficult for me to find. But, uh, I think there are probably many, many complicated rights things again that we don't understand, or at least I don't understand. 
that sure keeps it from being but, like if it's been worked out with foreign films for as long as it has I'm not saying it's going to be the exact same system or that it's going to be necessarily as easy to do, but I think it could be worked out. And I think there sure. is a market for it here. I mean, I think the evidence that foreign films, which again, don't usually do an incredibly huge business here, but do uh, do enough business to be sustainable and to be released. Um, I imagine the audience probably overlaps. Like if you're willing to watch a foreign film, if it's supposed to be good, you're probably willing to watch a foreign TV show if it's supposed to be good. You know, again, Broadchurch, maybe it'll be great on its own and they'll do something different and interesting with it. Um, I certainly hope that. And I love I love the people who are involved with it so far. So that's all very good. And I, I don't know how involved uh, Chris Chibnall is in this American version. I'm, I don't know if he's show running or if he's just kind of getting a created by... Well, I know I know he is involved. I don't know how involved. And if there's going to be a second season of the British one, it would seem that it would be difficult for him to adapt it to American TV and continue writing it in Britain at the same time. And if he is doing that, I would be more worried that it would just end up being a carbon copy. Because, like, Chris Chibnall probably thinks Chris Chibnall's ideas about how he ran Broadchurch are pretty good. Yeah. And I think, I actually think he did better, he's better suited for doing this type of television than Doctor Who, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think his, his Doctor Who stuff is pretty okay, but not great. Like, I didn't love Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, and what else did he do? Um, he did, uh... Oh, he did The Power of Three, which I didn't really yeah. like. But he did The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, which I thought was a very good two-parter. Yeah. Um, and I like, I actually, I don't know if you uh, rewatched Dinosaurs on a Spaceship um, as part of I haven't. I, haven't I liked yet. it better the second time. Yeah. Um, though I think that's shifting us off, uh, off topic slightly. But, I mean, Chibnall's quality aside, I just... If they're gonna, I think I think we've hit on the, the the main the main point here, which is if you're gonna remake it, there better be a good reason, and you better be trying to do something different with it. Um, but I also I also think there's something to be said for the idea of importing more foreign TV. Um, I think I think there's a market for it. I I I am in the market for it, but I think it's hopefully a lot larger than that. Um, and I'd be interested to see what other countries around the world are doing television wise. We usually get a pretty good idea what the British are doing because we have, you know, BBC America, we have PBS importing some things. Um, and oftentimes British shows will get American DVD releases and nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, like, I, I can't really tell you a whole lot about what, you know, television anywhere else in the world looks like. And that's, that's weird considering how globalized our society is at this point. Yeah, and apparently, you know, there's, I think there's probably a lot of good TV out there that we just don't know about because it's not in English. Yeah. Like, um, literally just don't know about it at all. I mean, I, yeah. I couldn't name five TV shows not in English that haven't been adapted in the United States. I could name Borgen. Yeah, I can name Borgen. That might be the only one off the top of my head. And, like, the rest of but, them uh, that I can name, I, kn- I know because, you know, like, they were turned into The Bridge or The Killing or Homeland or The Office. Which is easy to remember because it was called The Office. Because English. <laughs> English helps. 
certainly makes it easier to adapt, I think. But Well, before we shift on to, uh, to our other uh, half of the adaptation conversation, which is also hinged on some fairly topical stuff, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about, uh, about foreign TV adaptations, TV adaptations in general, etc.? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. I hope I hope they're good when they do come over. Because <laughs> well, then it'll feel kind of like a waste. Yeah. Fingers crossed that Broadchurch is good, if only because I like at least three of the people who are going to be in it. And I would much rather see David Tennant, Anna Gunn, and Jackie Weaver used well than squandered and kept from doing things that I might prefer. Um, so I will... Ideally, I'll watch broad, uh, the British Broadchurch before I have to write my end-of-the-year TV lists, um, and then we can maybe talk about that at some point, at least you and I, Sam, or if it's one of my yeah, I feel like I feel like, just like preliminary, just a second aside, I feel like I'm getting like a lot of new stuff on my list this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, I've, so I've, uh, because we're in mid-November now, I've definitely started thinking about year-end list stuff, and I think it's going to be an interesting year for my, for my TV list, and I think it's going to be full of a lot of new stuff. Including possibly right. Broadchurch, um, at which point we may talk about Broadchurch again once I've seen it on our uh, Best of 2013 TV podcast. Um, but I, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yes. Um, I plan to watch it. I will probably also at least watch an episode or so of the American Remake when that happens. Um, should it be podcast worthy, we'll discuss that as well. Otherwise, um, well... I can't imagine a situation in which we won't at least speak of it because it's got so many people we like in it. So we'll probably talk about that again. Um, for now, why don't we shift gears a little bit? And I think um, we both had been talking about this already. And when we decided we wanted to talk about adaptation, this also seems to be a particularly good entry point into a different sort of adaptation conversation. Um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have announced, I guess more they've obliquely hinted, but so blatantly that it's announced, uh, basically, that they are doing a creature pilot for AMC. Creature being the uh, Vertigo comic series by Garth Ennis from the 90s, which is about a uh, uh, man of the cloth who's lost his faith and also <laughs> gained what appears to be the powers of God. Um, is, that a, is that a fair explanation, Sam? Uh, I think that is, that's just about it. I think there's, there's a vampire in it and there's some weird people it's, in it. It's, uh, Sam and I have both read it. I think uh, it's fair to say, Sam, that we both love it. Yes. It, yes, absolutely. It's, uh, a kind of amazing mix of, of classic Southern tropes, uh, classic Western tropes and sort of Americana generally, um, mythology, religion, pop culture. It's, it's also very, very dark. Very, very violent and um, occasionally very, very profane, all of which have, have made it uh, difficult to consider it adapting before. It's been it's been previously attempted by uh, Kevin Smith uh, as a movie. I think it's been previously attempted as an HBO series previously, where where I honestly think it would probably fit better than on AMC. Um, so, uh, Sam, why don't we talk a little bit about Preacher, and then maybe let's we can use that segue into talking about. Uh, adaptations from and across other media. Sure. Um, one thing that's kind of fun about Preacher, for me anyway, is how sacrilegious it is. And I think that's part of um, part of the problem I think HBO had with it at the time when they were talking about adapting it for television. 
I don't know how they'd feel about that now, but I feel like that's still, you know, it would certainly be more controversial than a show like The Walking Dead, just because they're dealing with God and hell and a lot of murders and God being like an asshole. Yeah, um, I mean, the, I, this, it's not like the spoiler <laughs> to say that the basic premise of the show is, or the basic premise of the, the book is that a demon and an angel have had sex and their offspring is potentially as powerful as God and that offspring possesses the main character and the main character and his friends go off on a quest to find God who has abdicated the throne and abandoned humanity. So yeah, I think it will be controversial. <laughs> there are also elements I won't get into now uh, that are later revealed in, in the comics that I think are even more potentially controversial. Um, this is sort of, it's sort of similar to when I found out they were doing an adaptation of The Golden Compass uh, as a movie, which by the way was a terrible movie, so you really shouldn't see it. But basically they decided they were going to adapt The Golden Compass and scrub it of all religious subtext which made adapting the subsequent two books in the uh, trilogy all but impossible and also robbed the Golden Compass of all of most of the things I liked about it in the first place. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be able to scrub the God part of that yeah, <laughs> a preacher. It, I don't think, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't think they would be able to do the same treatment with the preacher. Uh, also, I don't think that if uh, Seth Rogen and Goldberg had people doing it, that would be their intent. Um, but I do think this will be an incredibly controversial show, no matter how you cut it. Um, I also, uh, one of, one of my initial reservations, because it's not on somewhere like HBO, is there is a lot of, like, really, really graphic violence and sex and other material in Preacher, and that's another thing I love about it, is it's sort of gleefully profane and, um, and also occasionally terrifying in the way it figures out how to, how to do its violence. Um, I, but Preacher is include some of the scariest and some of the funniest acts of violence I, I can think of in comics. Um, and I think a lot of that will have to be neutered on uh, AMC because they have far more content restrictions than HBO. And, I mean, a big part is the profanity. I mean, watching a preacher adaptation where no one could say fuck seems like insanity to me. I feel like there are there are issues of preachers where the dialogue is mostly just derivations of the word fuck. Like the yeah, main characters and, are all yeah. very very profane. The main villain is very very profane. But at the same time, what kind of gives me hope is Seth Rogen. From what I can tell, is like a a very serious fan of this. Um, and I don't know if him and uh, Evan, Goldberg. Evan, Evan Goldberg. Um, if they're going to just play producers or if they're going to show run and write for this, um, regardless as a fan of the comic and I, I, I've talked about this with you a lot since reading it, this, this comic makes much, much more sense as a television show than I think it ever did as a movie doing like one story arc at a time for a movie. I agree. And it's, um, also, it's also a world that, unlike a lot of uh, cross-media adaptations, I think might benefit from the story being elongated a little bit. Like, there's no sense in which uh, Preacher as a, as a complete arc uh, shouldn't be messed with, I think. Like, there, there are, I, would keep, I would keep all of the elements that exist in the story in any adaptation, but I feel like its vision of this sort of, like, like I don't know, American South and Southwest uh, filled with all sorts of mythology, invented and uh, co-opted, 
and like the way it plays with with American culture and Ameri- Americana and American myth, I think were all fascinating and could probably be expanded upon even further than the actual comic series did. So, ideally, I think a, a preacher TV show is the best possible adaptation. Um, I don't know if if AMC is the best place to do it, but also I c- I could imagine a version of Preacher that could work on AMC and could be very good. Yes. Um... Something that's like the most exciting for me as a fan is when they announce casting for this, because another like kind of a nerd fun game to play is um, cast the adaption, and I feel like that's kind of something that kind of fun game kind of fantasy thinking about who would play what part. It's kind of very of the time because every comic book it seems, every graphic novel. Um, I mean, it's been true of books forever with movies, but more now with comic books. They're getting adapted into movies now, and, you know, having those conversations, they often turn into real conversations in Hollywood about who's going to play, you know, what character in Game of Thrones, or now who's going to play Jesse and Preacher, who's going to play Cassidy. And, I mean, we've had we've had very long conversations about this exact subject before, as well as, you know, many other nerd-friendly who we would like to play. I've, I've, I've already maintained, I've told you, I think Josh Holloway or Taylor Kitsch, depending on how old they want Jesse to be, would be good for Jesse. Reese Iffins for Cassidy. And I think I said Nick Nolte for Saint of Killers. I would love that. But the problem is this Saint of Killers is like really tall and big. I don't know how big Nick Nolte yeah, is. But, you can do but I feel like or Yeah. But I feel like Nick Nolte was like born to play that. Um but yeah, and I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure none of those people will be cast because there are a million people. Those are uh, picks. Um, especially, I mean, if Preacher had been made, you know, a decade ago when it was originally being talked about, I think uh, Rice Evans would have been like pitch perfect as Cassidy. Yeah. He may have slightly aged out of the role now. Yeah, he might he might be a little too old now. But it also depends how but old you know they make, uh, Jesse. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm sure. If I had to guess what happens with casting, it's they're probably going to cast a bunch of people, and I'll, I'll probably have like heard of one of them, and the others are like, I don't know who that is. Because that's how it usually goes. Or it'll be like Seth Rogen as Jesse. Um, which I yeah. Think the problem, yeah, that's what it's going to be. Which I think was the problem with the Rogen-Goldberg adaptation of The Green Hornet, which was that like they didn't seem to have enough distance from the material, and they kind of wanted to... I don't know. I don't know how exactly to explain it. It wasn't so much that they made it their own, but perhaps inserted themselves into it in ways they shouldn't have. <laughs> like being cast as the lead? Like Seth Rogen playing the lead, correct. Uh, there's no way on earth that I could see Seth Rogen being Jesse, but I could see Seth being like some like weird hill folk person. Yeah. I, could see, I could see him fitting well into, into Preacher at, at some point. Um, there are any number of sort of side characters that I think his type of uh, performance would lend itself to, but I think it. Would, There's the thing. What's great about preachers? There are so many amazing characters yeah. in there that are just like Cassidy alone is like. There's just so much. Whoever gets cast is Cassidy. Whether the show is good or not, I feel like that person will probably be the st- like the breakout. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Cassidy's yeah. the breakout character of the of the series. Uh, like, I, I love Preacher as a whole, but I think Cassidy is definitely my favorite character in the series. Um, and if handled well, he's, you know, I think he could be an amazing television character. Um, that's another thing, is I feel like Preacher Preacher sets up its characters in its universe well enough that it almost demands, like, hey, study us with more depth. There's plenty here. Um, 
Creature is one of the few comic series that when it ended, I was like, I wish this had gone on longer. Like, there's 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 more material here. Uh, even though I think the ending was very satisfying. Um. So yeah. And it has an ending, which is good right. too. I mean, I mean, yeah, it has an ending. It has an arc that the show uh, could easily ape exactly and be very satisfying. It also, should it become incredibly popular, has sort of areas in it that I think could be accordioned out. I wouldn't say you could, you know, just just make the whole thing slower paced or anything. But I think there are there are periods in the story where it would be easy to expand uh, what's going on. You know, a lot of a lot of the uh, the the arcs are, you know, the characters traveling around America uh, from place to place. And I feel like the places that we see them stop have this very uh, these very interesting and, and well realized personalities. And it wouldn't be that hard to say like, oh, and they also stopped a few other places too. Now, kind of bringing this back to like adaptations. Mm-hmm. What is it about, you know, the idea, we were talking about, like, The Office, or more specifically, Broadchurch, and when we talk about Broadchurch, a lot of people are like, eh, like, what's the point, like, why why do we need to do this? But then when you talk about Preacher, everyone is so, so excited, but Preacher's been done, I mean, the, the comic is out there, the comic is pretty perfect, um... That's the story it was told in, and it's out there for anybody to read. What, like, what is the difference when someone's like, why aren't people going like, oh, shit, they're bringing Broadchurch to America, hooray? Is it because it's already been done in the medium? Would I guess the equivalent would be like, we're, we're rewriting Preacher yeah. in another comic right. book. I think, I think part of it is changing the medium. Um, and also I think it's changing the medium in a way that makes it more relatable to the masses. So like... You and I, uh, as huge Preacher fans, now go, oh, sweet, they're making Preacher into a TV show, which, if good, will help me introduce a story that I really like to people who otherwise would never experience it. Uh, I think that's part of it. I also think, like, when you change the medium, you allow for the possibility of uh, a different artist inserting themselves into it in a positive way. The example that I always think of here is uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining which is, like, very, very different than Stephen King's, um, and yet, like, is quintessentially a Kubrick movie and is, is an awesome one. Um, and I think that's always a potential in, in adaptation is for creators to find something about the story that they love and for them to make it their own without, ever, without, without undermining the story. And, I mean, we could debate over whether The Shining, uh, as Stephen King told it, is undermined in the Kubrick version. I would say it isn't, but... I think there's something there's something exciting about that as well, um, and yeah, I think I think part of it is like it's cool to see something that you've enjoyed put up on the screen. You know, it's 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 great to watch, especially I think I think especially comics maybe because comics are already a visual medium, and so it's it's kind of cool to see the visual medium translated into moving images. Um, sure, see like the characters come to life, like hear their voice. It's much easier for me to for me to play the casting game and be satisfied with the casting of a comic book because you know you right, when it. they're casting it it's like oh look at that whereas say harry potter sometimes they cast people and i said that is not what that person looked like in my head when i read harry potter um that's always going to be a problem with a uh, literary adaptation i think but yeah so those are some reasons i think that like i get excited about uh adaptations to other media what about you yeah i mean it's it's kind of part of the problem I think people kind of experience when books they really love are adapted into movies. Um, it, it, it's kind of like a two-edged sword. You know, sometimes if you look at Game of Thrones, I think a lot of people are really happy with how 
I haven't read Game of Thrones, but I think a lot of people are very happy with how those characters have been brought to life on screen and the performances that have come with them. But on the other side of the coin, people are often, when they see a movie or television adaptation of a story they read, they're like, that's not how I imagined it in my head. This is kind of like, this is bastardizing, like, the world that I created in my mind. Um, or, you know, putting a voice to Cassidy or putting a voice to any of these characters and having them move around on the screen and be kind of real in a way that they're not on the page. Um, it's ex- it's very, very exciting to see, and I think it's why people always, you know, it's a gimmick in Hollywood now, but I think people get excited when characters they love from other medium, uh, other media are are brought to life. I think there's something kind of exciting about that. It's kind of made real in a way. And I, and like, I want to see, I want to see Jesse like do some of the crazy shit he did in the comic books in real life, because it's so cool. And I want him to fill in the space between the panels and, and just, you know, and there's also the possibility that there's going to be more there. I mean, this is the optimist now speaking. I've already talked about the cynic in me speaking about this stuff. But the optimist in me now is that there is there are such great characters that there is a great opportunity for amazing performances and super memorable performances that might strike a chord in a way that just reading it on the page, you know, doesn't have, and maybe in a way that you didn't imagine when you're reading the book. I mean, people talk about, oh, I imagine someone sounding and looking like this, um, but maybe it's better when it's put on screen sometimes. I mean, often people are like, oh, you know, book's better than the movie, et cetera. But it, it's, it's an exciting prospect to know that these like are going to be like moving, breathing, flesh characters. And I think, I think people get very excited about that. And for good reason, because sometimes it's really cool. It's, I think, why we like seeing Batman on screen. We like to see, we like to see Bruce Wayne in reality and being put in that world. Yeah. And I mean, if nothing else, I mean, Batman is, I think, slightly different because when you get a when you get a superhero movie of those, uh, you know, of that ilk, it's usually an original story starring the characters like as well. Sure, um, and that's, that's what's exciting to me because, like, ask Chris. I read like every Batman book there is, even though most of them are not that good. Um, I'm a Batman fanatic, so like, give me a Batman story, I'm in. Um, and that's a that's a different you know that's a different question about adapting your standard superhero comics. Um, which I think even when they do adapt stories from the comics, which has happened before, uh, they're usually done in a different way. And so, you know, it it feels different and new, um, which, you know, Preacher could be done in a way that, that felt completely different and new. And if it was good enough, I wouldn't mind, but, uh, actually, I don't know if that's true. Um, maybe, maybe that's worth exploring more. Cause I think, I think even if Preacher was a great TV show, um, and very different from Preacher, I would spend a lot of time talking about uh, the TV show in terms of, well, it's very, very different from the from the comics, and, like, the comics are really great. So maybe maybe there is a line uh, across which, like, if, it, if it's too different from the thing you initially love, you won't appreciate it as much. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that being said, like, there's... I think, I think the key is, like, there's always a chance you can find gold. Like, Oftentimes you don't, and oftentimes adaptations end up leaving things on the cutting room floor that irritate us. Like, I think Game of Thrones is generally a very, very good adaptation, and yet, if you'd read the book, Sam, you would often have conversations with me about, like, well, they didn't do this as well, or, like, they cut that out, and I think it's necessary, sure. and, like... And I think that's that's probably going to happen in Preacher. Oh, yeah. Um, so... I mean, the... 
you know, maybe that'll frustrate us to no end. The question is how often it happens versus the opposite, right? Like, Preacher is sure. relatively, I mean, it's, what, six, I think it's 60 issues of comics, right? Um, Something like that, yeah. Which, if you, if you transformed one issue into one hour, which I don't think would work, I think they'll actually, you know, some issues would work as half an hour, so there'll be two issues in an episode. It would be roughly like a four or five season show um, on, like, cable. Uh, if that if that's the format they do, and if they adapt it very very rigorously and it's successful, it could possibly go on longer than that. And then instead of them cutting things out, we might find them adding things in. And then you know, like we've talked about, that sort of can be great and can have the opposite problem. Um, you know, what if the things they add in don't feel totally uh, consistent with with the story they're telling otherwise, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the the opportunity for finding gold is 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 why I'll always be excited about adaptation. Sometimes it's done really really well sometimes you get the shining sometimes you get no country for old men um sometimes you get Hannibal the tv show you know yeah um and because you occasionally get those things i'm going to other things like what i assumed Hannibal the tv show would be like and a lot of other um not great adaptations so cautiously optimistic for preacher I guess cautiously pessimistic for Broadchurch. I I can't classify Broadchurch fairly yet because I haven't seen the original. Uh, sure. If I don't like the original, then maybe I'll be more pessimistic. Probably. My problem is. Or maybe more optimistic. I, maybe more optimistic, but I have I have uh, an admitted bias toward British television over American television in a lot of ways. Um, and one of those ways is I think like they tend to do shorter uh, seasons and shorter runs and be more focused in telling like one story in their TV series as opposed to drawing them out and sort of piling things on. And, you know, sometimes drawing things out and piling things on is good. Uh, if you watch The Good Wife, for example, one of, the, one of the reasons I'm always trying to tell you to watch that is that it's a show that basically uses the fact that it has 22 episodes a season to draw things out and pile them on and make them more complicated to make, uh, you know, and bring back recurring characters and all that is great. Mm-hmm. But when you're adapting a British show, I tend to think what the American adaptation is going to look like is longer, lumpier, um, less coherent as a narrative, and often, like, dumbed down and less uh, emotionally complex and subtle. None of those things necessarily have to be the case of an adaptation. And as we said, I think that a lot of those things are, are happen because uh, the people doing the adapting think that the American public's not as sophisticated as I think it is. Um, but most British adaptations have those characteristics. And most times when I watch an adaptation of something British and I go back and watch the original, the original's better. Although, like... I think the same could often be said of things that are important in the opposite direction. Um, except except coupling, which I think is arguably better than Friends. The original couple. Yeah, not, the, not the American remake. So the British took Friends and made it into coupling. The Americans saw that coupling was good and tried to remake the remake in America, and that was awful. There you go. Moffat does it again. Yeah. The two big, the two big ones, uh, Queer as Folk and Coupling, both came to America... From Doctor Who writers, That's correct. So, if you want to be the next Doctor Who showrunner, you gotta do like a uh, kind of like a romantic sitcom type show in England first. Yeah, it's the only way. That's, that's the only way. Uh, it's actually yep. it, you know when they send out resumes uh, or when they send out job descriptions for next Doctor Who showrunner, it says uh, experience on a British romantic sitcom required. I'm looking forward to the next installment. <laughs> um, 
which is, of course, why I will never be the showrunner on Doctor Who, even though I'd be super good at it, uh, BBC listeners. <laughs> I have thoughts. Um, so I guess we could talk about uh, thoughts on how um, we would be different from Stephen Moffat as Doctor Who showrunners when we have seen uh, the Day of the Doctor, the 15th anniversary special, uh, which, again, we will be talking about next week. Um, yeah. While we're while we're in, I think, are we about ready to wrap up adaptation so I can move into the pitching things for the future? Sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, because while we're in that mode, I also want to say that the show will be appearing at its quote-unquote regular time, the podcast, that is, uh, next week, which is usually on Tuesdays, if all goes according to plan, occasionally Wednesday or Thursday. But we will be stabilizing to a Friday release for the podcast in the month of December for our, our uh, best of 2013 stuff. So next week's podcast will be standard. After that, they will be released on Friday. And that way, when we talk about the best of TV on the podcast, we can all spoil our lists and talk about the things we liked and didn't like about our favorite shows without worrying about uh, destroying the list before we publish them. So that's another thing to look out for. Although if you subscribe to us on iTunes, which you all should... Um, it's just going to show up in your iTunes like any other podcast. So you don't, it doesn't really matter to you when it comes out, unless, unless you're waiting, uh, with bated breath each week for our installments, in which case, sorry that it's not usually as regular as we'd like. <laughs> um, with that, I guess, uh, I should say my standard, you can find us, uh, talking about these things and many more at reviewname.com. You can reach out to us there in the comments. Uh, you can email us at reviewname at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Reviewing Names. Uh, there, are, there are plenty of ways for you to get into contact with us. We'd love you to do it. If you want to send us your thoughts on uh, the Day of the Doctor, if you want to ask us questions about that uh, before we record the podcast so we can talk about them. Um, if you want to throw things out that you think we should or should not talk about or ways we should or should not structure our best of 2013 stuff, let us know. Um, with that, we will be back next week. Uh, this has been the Review Name Podcast. I have been Jordan, and you deserve it. You're a blood-drinking thing that crawls in the night. You're lower than the worst scum on the surface of the earth. I name you Beast. Beast. <laughs>